Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud Ninefin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high-yield, leveraged loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Leadfin market with US editor Will Cages-Smith, so be sure to check in every second Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be following the stuttering lifeline of Leadfin Leverage Loan Primary, Granule Invest, and MFNs. We'll get to the Covenant close-up soon, but first, the Leadfin wrap. As we will discuss in much further detail during the deep discussion, House of HR priced a 1 billion and 20 million euro TLB at 92, with a E plus 575 margin, though only 60% of the book was covered, according to market sources. We're waiting on an update for the 310 million euro second lien, but according to market sources, it was around half covered. Uh, the company's 425 million euro SSNs have been put on hold. 10K Grass, a sports surfaces manufacturer suffering similar market headwinds as House of HR, opted to pull its 274.3 million euro add-on. Currently in syndication is Tendam, the hold co for retailer Corte Fiel, currently issuing a 130 million euro TLP. B paying 3%. It also has 300 million euros in senior secured FRNs paying a 7.5% coupon. Also in bonds, Verishore is out to market with 500 million euros of SSNs expected to pay a coupon of 9.25%, which is also getting good traction according to buysiders, despite a recent ESG QT put out by Ninefin, which brings a new perspective to the business. Next up, we have the Covenant close-up, and today I'm here with Janisha Amin, a co-head of Loans Research here at Ninefin. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, Janisha. Hi, Kat. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, very excited to be talking about MFNs. So it's the Most Favoured Nation Covenant, and recently we've been seeing more of the syndication MFNs. We spoke about it last week on the US podcast, so I'm not going to spend too much time on the syndication MFN. There's also a Ninth in Educational out on MFNs, which Janisha did. Janisha, could you explain for the listeners and for the very uneducated host what a traditional MFN is? Sure. So uh, I should say it's a traditional MFN in leveraged loan agreements. Um, And we typically see a margin MFN. So that's essentially protection that's provided to the current term loan lenders. And it means that if the borrower incurs some additional debt and uh, wants to offer better pricing to those new lenders, it can't be more than 100 basis points typically in Europe. Um, And if it is more than 100 basis points, they have to offer that extra bit to the existing term loan lenders too. So they essentially make sure that the headroom is no more than 100 basis points in pricing. And that's the European position. But in the US, surprisingly, it's actually tighter. One area where the US market is uh, tighter than Europe. And over there, the headroom is about 50 to 75 basis points, though we have seen 100 And that protection doesn't last forever. It's typically six months after the loan agreement is signed. 
Um, but uh, the, the main issue with MFN these days is just that there are so many carve-outs, so it doesn't apply to a lot of the incremental debt that's being incurred. So a couple of examples, it doesn't apply to debt that's incurred to fund an acquisition. So a lot of, a t- a lot of the time, incremental facility will obviously be incurred to fund an acquisition. So if you're saying the protection doesn't apply, then the borrower isn't constrained in the pricing it uh, gives to, to those new lenders. And sometimes it doesn't apply if the debt is below a certain amount, so up, c- could be up to 100% EBITDA. So uh, unfortunately, over time, this MFN protection has uh, weakened quite a bit, but the principle remains the same, which is essentially that new lenders shouldn't get materially more attractive pricing compared to existing lenders. Okay, so it makes perfect sense for investors. The syndication MFN I'm just taking this from your report, protect syndicate lenders from underwriting banks selling unallocated debt in the secondary market at a steeper discount. So is it basically just the same concept, but just through syndication? Or are there any other differences between the traditional MFN and the syndication MFN? So it's the same concept. I mean, MFN clauses are used in all sorts of uh, contracts. And the principle is always the same to treat parties equally. So the syndication MFN, it's it's rare. We've not seen it because underwriting banks haven't been struggling to syndicate debt in the same way they are currently. So it's just a different type of MFN that's come about. But um, there are some key differences. So the first is it's not protection that's offered um, from the borrowers to the term loan B lenders under the loan agreement. This is an arrangement between the, the arrangers, the underwriting banks and the term loan B lenders because it's to do with syndication of debt. So it's nothing to do with the borrower. And essentially what the underwriting banks are saying or agreeing to is that because they've not been able to syndicate this debt, if they then, they have to hold on to some of it, if they then go off and sell it in the secondary market, it can't be at a very steep discount. Um, And if it is at a discount, they'll offer that discount essentially to the existing syndicate with the traditional mfn or or just mfns in general if you see much pushback on those two i I would be interested to know what kind of pushback you see or what kind of pushback you recommend on on these types of covenants well interestingly interestingly the syndicate mfn at the moment there's no there's no headroom on that so uh, so example let's say a deal is being priced at the moment with 92 oid the syndicate MFN is at the same 92 OID. So if the underwriting banks uh, give more OID to the secondary lenders, they're essentially offering that same discount to the existing lenders. So let's say they sell at 85, they offer the incremental difference being seven. Whereas for the margin MFN, you do have that 100 basis points headroom. Um, there's not really much pushback on that in Europe. It, it stays at 100. But where we do sometimes see pushback is on the length of that protection. So at the moment, this European SAD is six months. But actually, given the current climate we're in, we are seeing some pushback on that. And MFN periods being extended to 12 months, even on this margin MFN that we've been talking about. So probably in, another indirect um, uh, thing that we're seeing based on on current market conditions. Next up, we have Please Raise Responsibly, our ESG segment. I'm here with the fantastic ESG analyst, Dan Power. Thank you for being with us today, Dan. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. 
You may know him from a fantastic video that was put out on LinkedIn recently for our ESG company data launch campaign. Um, Today we're going to be speaking a bit about Granule Invest. The team put out a fantastic quick take. It's an Estonian biomass business and it issued some senior secured notes and some senior secured FRNs in 2021. Um, Those are rated B1. Uh, Dan, it'd be great to understand how the company's doing with its KPIs. Yeah, so at the end of 2021, Granule had actually surpassed its SPT. It was based on a carbon intensity figure, and it was to reduce that figure by 5%. They recently reported that they decreased that intensity figure by 6.8%. And I think that this is, is it's relevant because it had a, a quite a significant uh, step up associated with uh, achieving that SPT. So it was 75 basis points, which based on Ninefin's analysis uh, on the high yield sustainability linked universe was the highest step up that we've seen yet. So the ability to meet that KPI did reduce the likelihood that they would have to pay that step up. I think it's also worth noting that we also went, to, went and did some uh, due diligence into the covenant just looking to see what was said around the ESG-related uh, step-up. And we found that there was actually no specific requirement that the company sustains this KPI or target. And I think that, that this is notable because the, the, the SPT needed to be achieved by December 2024. So it does kind of call into question a bit the ambitiousness of the target. Sustainalytics had ranked this uh, or rated this KPI as moderately ambitious, but the fact that they were able to achieve this in such short time and also pay that step up maybe puts this into question a little bit. Fascinating. Um, I wondered if you'd come up with any like serious concerns about the biomass industry at large in your research. Yeah, I think the biomass industry, especially around wood pellets, uh, this is an industry that has had a lot of controversy around it, um, both from uh, academics and the scientific community, in addition to activists as well. So I think there's two primary fronts where where the concerns lie. The first is the the sourcing of biomass, so uh, the land use, the clear-cutting of trees, and then also the, the second dimension is the carbon impact and emissions impact of biomass. So biomass producers often will say that their industry is carbon neutral uh, based on the fact that they're not creating new carbon. But the reality is is that carbon absorption does not occur fast enough for these emissions to be negated. And there's been multiple studies which have shown that biomass, especially wood pellets, have a, a carbon footprint that is comparable or exceeds that of coal. So the harvesting from a harvesting perspective and then also from an emissions perspective, those are the two kind of primary concerns associated with biomass. Um, I do think it's important to note that uh, Granule has gone to quite a large extent to to say that its, its supply chain and also its harvesting practices comply with uh, relevant certifications and also sustainability requirements, and the the Dutch government as well as the UK government uh, has see, sees Granule as complying with uh, these requirements. 
But on the flip side, there's also a plethora of reports that have criticized granules forest management and harvesting of, of, of biomass. My goodness, Dan, I can't believe that statistic about biomass being just as carbon intensive as the coal industry. That's, that's, that's very scary. I wondered if you, ha- if you see any material risks for the biomass industry. I see one of the biggest risks being the fact that, uh, especially in Europe, the biomass industry is quite dependent on government subsidies. And uh, as recently as September at the European Parliament during a plenary session, we saw MEPs voting to narrow the definition of what types of woody biomass could be included for uh, green subsidies. Just to give you an idea of the scale of this granule, uh, its primary operations are in Latvia and Estonia. These two countries give the greatest proportion of uh, renewable energy subsidies to biomass. So a lot of granules operations are quite dependent on subsidies. And if there is a changing, if there's changing sentiment about how renewable or how green uh, biomass is, this could have a, a serious um, Uh, material impact on the company. However, I will caveat that with the fact that governments, especially uh, the UK government, are quite bullish on biomass. Next up, we have the deep discussion where we discuss a topic a little more deeply. We've got a loans team duo on with us today. I am joined by Mikhail Skipala, Uh, one of our fantastic loans reporters. Mikhail, what's the situation out there? Can you paint a picture for us? Well, the situation is pretty bleak at the moment. I don't think we're going to see a deal for quite some time. Uh, We've already been hearing the post-summer opening is not going to be happening in the scale that everyone would hope for. But um, with drastic sell-off last week, that's seems to be gradually continuing um, to sterling this week, at least what we're hearing in the market. We really can't see an issue braving the market at the moment. And we've seen that on the Tenkata gas deal and House of Arge were the like, last deals in Europe that they're trying to push through and they both suffered. Part of what triggered this decision to talk about this topic today was that um, this week lead banks on House of HR's most recent debt financing managed to cover just 60% of the companies around a billion euro TLB, which sat alongside an 125 million euro delayed draw term loan and a 310 million euro second lien loan. So 60% of that TLB was covered. Um, apparently, according to one market source, half of the second lien has been covered in the transaction. We definitely know it wasn't fully covered. And that, that's particularly su- surprising because we know that direct lenders were looking at it both before the broad syndication and after the broad syndication. Um, so they clearly didn't manage to get anyone to backstop that. We even heard rumours that Bain Credit was going to take on the second lien, but we've confirmed that that's not the case. It, it, it was just a, a, a really bad turnout for JP Morgan, uh, as far as we can see. They, they declined to comment. The 425 million euro SSNs that came on the, in the package have also been put on hold, but a lot of buy-siders are using the language pulled. So it, it, it's, it's, hard, it's difficult to imagine when those might come back to market. I would assume that the banks are going to try and recut that and um, find a way 
to get that over the line. The scariest thing about this credit is that it's a lot of it is about market headwinds. People were saying that through syndication as we were calling up by siders asking them they were all just kind of saying not in this market uh you know recession is coming it's a it's a difficult business admittedly they did mention that high leverage was a concern that off marketing ebitda of 327.2 million euros net debt is at 5.9 times which definitely feels punchy in this this environment i imagine it's extremely difficult for the company as well as the banks to swallow i mean this is a business that priced a TLB back in 2019 at par. It's senior secured notes and its senior subordinated notes were also priced at par across 2019 and 2020. A lot of people said, you know, this credit is okay. When a buy side is confronted with that issue, they have to look to the secondary market and think, well, where can we get a better credit? Buy siders are able to ask themselves, if this is just okay, why are we doing it? And that was not the situation a year ago. I covered 10 categories and in any other market, it would be a straightforward add-on um, that has a little bit of uh, hefty leverage carrying it. But in terms of the credit, people seem to be liking where it's going. In terms of growth, it was showing strong resilience. Um, even at the like global macro headwinds at the moment, it was just a punchy structure that at the moment just is not sit well with cautious buy side. And we're talking about cautious buy side, but we might be actually talking about that there is no one buying at the moment. We engage with also all the parties involved in the deal and there's been a talk about like a decent um, feedback, but it wasn't a significant uh, amount of paper it was it was sub uh, 300 million and they already made sacrifices in, in that space too because the, the acquisition they were needed to fund which was already funded in may is actually m- slightly larger than the paper they're trying to get so there was some equity being used to buy the acquisition of hellas um that already has been like merged with Dencategras. so this was a situation when the leads were essentially still trying to see if they get some pricing that they will be comfortable to done and get off the books for the next of the year. But it looks like that this deal is just to be another one that's going to be waiting on the sidelines. A lot of question marks about if we're even going to see any deal coming forward in next weeks or months, unless someone is really have to take a deep discount to, to meet their funding needs. The acquisition was fully funded. So we've been already when talking to buy side, hearing that this is not necessarily something the banks need to do at the moment if they don't feel like it. They have widened the price out uh, by one point. Well, the range was, I believe it was 92, 93, 94, but actually it ended up being 90 to 91. Across the board, OIDs still stay below the 95 mark, with the exception of Rovenza. I think, Mikhail, we both covered that. When people talk about how difficult the pipeline has been since September and how bad the credit quality is, I think they they often point out Rovenza as an exception. Yeah, and also kind of shows the difference where the market was before the sterling term loan that started with the mini-budget announcement. We could still speculate what Rovenza would be pricing at at the moment um, in in primary if uh, if it would not come like two weeks early. It's 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 holding steadily, but essentially there's not much selling um, trading um, of bonds and loans at the moment. So we we just see things mostly just marked up or down, mostly down. Obviously, it's really hard to also assess if the credit is that much stronger 
than Tenkate, but it is it is definitely a sector that people liked more, and the deal was not um, structured as aggressively in terms of leverage. I think even in September, the market started off a bit difficult. So backing an LBO by KKR, Axel brought the first deal um, to choppy waters um, in September. The TLB was expected to offer an OID of between 93 and 94. It finished off at 94. Um, and even at that early time in the reopening, just under half of the offered TLB paper was already destined for the banks who'd committed at that 93, 94 price talk. Since September, I think you looked at Initum. What, what was the situation there? Initum is just another hung deal that has been, um, you know, pre Funded. Well, hung deal. It has price now, but like just coming to the market as having to be uh, recut to appease, I guess, the brighter buy side because it would be hard to place a 1 billion of paper now in Europe. And that's all we have time for this week. And if you do want to read more about some of these situations, head to ninefin.com slash insights, where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall. Or you can drop us an email at team at ninefin.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussion and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.